Hi, this is Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, and you're listening to the LC and Jack Radio Show. You are listening to the LC and Jack Radio Show, live from New York. And now, here are your hosts, LC and Jack. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the L.C. and Jack Radio Show with your man L.C. holding it down. Give us a shout here in the studio. You can reach us live, area code 347-843-4738, the L.C. and Jack Radio Show is being brought to you by African American Art Gallery for the finest in African art. Give them a shout. You can reach them here in the NYC, New York City Area code 212-233-0422. Give them a call. Get your the finest art that you can buy. And uh, if you can't uh, make it into New York City, go online and check them out. Again, African American Art Gallery. 212-233-0422. They'll see you at Jack Radio Show. As you know, we're also on Facebook as well as Twitter. So uh, check us out. And I almost forgot one LinkedIn too there, Brad. So hit us up. Follow us. We got some big time guests coming down the pike here. And uh, we're going to kind of lead right into Brad, our guest for this evening. He's Mr. Bob Kendrick, who is the current president of the Negro Leagues Museum. The museum was founded in 1990 by a group of former Negro League baseball players, Alfred Chirac, Buck O'Neill, and Horace Peterson. Major League Baseball would not be what it is today. Let me say that again. Major League Baseball would not be what it is today without the Negro Leagues. So we're so happy and delighted to have an LC and Jack radio show this evening, Mr. Bob Kendrick. Hello, Bob. How are you? Hey, man. I am doing fine, guys. Thanks so much for having me on the show. My partner in crime, the cornbread is with us there, Bob. How you doing? <laughs> hey, I'm doing good, brother. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. Good to have you on the show. Thanks. It's great. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Bob, we're going to get right into it. I know... Uh, we we uh, have you as a guest, and we we appreciate your time. I guess right out the the bat, there, Bob. I got to ask you. I know we had a chance to chat previous, but let's get right into it. Was Bob Gibson the best player? Uh, now I don't know if you had a chance to see Bob, but from from the starts that I saw, Babe Ruth couldn't even shake a stick at. 
at Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson was amazing. Obviously, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to to actually see him play, but by all the accounts, and when you go back and you look at the history of the Negro Leagues, wherever Gibson played, that team was a winner. And I don't care whether it was with the Homestead Grays or the Pittsburgh Crawfords or in Venezuela or in the Dominican or Cuba, wherever Gibson played, whatever team he was on, was a winner. And the late, great Buck O'Neill, who I have obviously great admiration and respect for and his knowledge of the game of baseball and certainly the fact that he was there uh, as part of the Negro Leagues in, during the heart and soul of the Negro Leagues, mm-hmm. says without question, Gibson was the greatest hitter he ever saw. He believed that the two greatest hitters he ever saw were Babe Ruth and Josh Gibson, complete hitters, guys who hit for power, who hit for average. But he says the difference between Gibson and Ruth is that Ruth would customarily strike out well over 100 times in a year. Mm-hmm. Gibson might strike out 25 times in a year. Wow. Ted Williams' kinds of eyes, uh, you know, where he put the ball in play and put it in play with a lot of power. And, and I think that's the thing. I think people focus a lot on Gibson's power, and in doing so, sometimes they forget that he was a great hitter. Mm-hmm. Gibson had a lifetime batting average of three fifty four, wow. and hit competition against major leaguers hit over four hundred. But what makes it even more remarkable, guys, is that Gibson was doing this as a catcher. <laughs> Catchers yeah. don't do it. You know, you don't get that. It, I mean, you know, that's the most difficult uh, position to play physically. Yeah. And just beats your body up. And Gibson caught his entire 18-year career in the Negro Leagues. Wow. Now, it was my my, my facts from, uh, and you mentioned his lifetime average, 354. 962 home runs. He had <laughs> one season, 517 batting average with 84 home runs. Wow, I mean, I'm telling you, man, it was just freakish the the kinds of numbers that this man put up. Babe, uh, you know, it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, Gibson was incredible. Um, you know, he just—they don't even measure where he hit home runs in ballparks. They measure it by landmarks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> man, you see that? You know, you see that tree over there. You know, yeah. the train back over there. You know, Josh hit one over there. You know, wow. I mean, that's you know, that's you know, the the lore and the legend that clearly surrounds one of the greatest baseball players in baseball history. Not just Negro Leagues, but one of the greatest baseball players in baseball history. You know, now the argument is always debatable about whether the greatest of all time because it all depends on what you like. You right. Know, uh, if you like that guy who did everything, all around guy. You might like a center fielder like a Willie Mays, or mm-hmm. in people leagues it was Oscar Charleston who people say was Willie Mays before there ever was a Willie Mays. You know, so it all depends on what you like about the game in terms of determining whether you know this person might have been the greatest of all time. But I can tell you now, you can make a legitimate argument for Josh Gibson being there with the greatest of all time. No, I, I mean I read what I you know I had a chance to research and. I mean, the, the record's are astounding. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, a, a gentleman I, that I believe was a big influence on you, Buck O'Neill. Talk about Buck. Wow. I mean, Buck was amazing. 
you know, he was the heart and soul of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum for so many years, for 16 years, uh, as he served as the founding chairman of this great organization. But, you know, obviously he had a tremendous Negro Leagues career himself as a great first baseman with initially the Memphis Red Sox before being traded to the Kansas City Monarchs. And from 1938 to 1955, he was affiliated with the great Kansas City Monarchs as a player, as a player manager. Um, you know, and then his impact on the game is tremendous. You know, he go, goes on to become a groundbreaking scout, having signed Hall of Famers Ernie Banks and Lou Brock, hopefully future Hall of Famers and Lee Smith and Joe Carter to their very first professional contracts. And, uh, of course, himself, we're celebrating 50 years this year of Buck being the first African-American coach in Major League Baseball history, 1962, with the Chicago Cubs. And as I mentioned earlier, he was the voice of the Negro Leagues. His role in the epic Ken Burns documentary really jettisoned an entire new career for Buck. He was 82 when the, the Ken Burns documentary hit uh, PBS, and, and people literally, guys, fell in love with Buck O'Neill. He was a very charming, gentle man telling these wonderful stories about baseball to baseball fans that they had never heard. And he had a smile that lit up the screen, uh, a twinkle in his eye, and it was on from that point on. You know, for the next 12 years, he was running all over the country, spreading the gospel of the Negro Leagues and the virtues of this great museum known as the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. So, you know, it was a blessing for me to spend so much time with him traveling, hearing the stories firsthand from him, uh, mm -hmm. and now being able to share some of those stories with the new generation of baseball fans. Well, it was phenomenal. Talk a little bit about, um, Bob, if you would, the, the museum. What, what, yeah, a little bit more in detail about the museum. Uh, I didn't get into it in the intro. I kind of didn't want to steal your thunder, so give our listeners uh, a little <laughs> background about the museum and, and what they can expect when they are in the Kansas City area. Man, it's special. It, it, it is a special place. You know, I oftentimes say for the for the African American and Hispanic baseball player, this is Mecca. You know, these, this is where your roots are. You know, you you don't play this game had it not been for the Negro Leagues. But the story itself is universal in its appeal. Uh, I oftentimes say that the story of the Negro Leagues is not an African American story. It's an All American story. And so when you come to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, you're going to see America at her worst, but also America at her triumphant best. And, and that's the story of the Negro Leagues. It is told on a timeline of American history, and as you make this journey through, you watch the rise and subsequent fall of the Negro Leagues, but you also witness the social rise of America. And along this journey, you also see and meet some of the greatest athletes to ever put on a baseball uniform they could play and, and really their contemporaries knew that they could play it was simply the social conditions of our time and fear that kept them out of the major leagues but what makes this such an awe-inspiring story is mm -hmm. that they didn't cry about that social injustice they went out and did something about it they created a league of their own and that sure. league would not take a back seat to anybody's league that's right that's right awesome awesome what what um, I, I was able to take a look and was curious and was able to generate a lot of information on the history uh, as far as the actual numbers that a lot of the players were able to accumulate over the years. How difficult uh -huh. was that, Bob, on kind of getting those 
those stats together. I see Major League Baseball, from what I understand, was instrumental in trying to, you know, I guess, get that factual information. Yeah, and, and it is important, and it was difficult, and it still is difficult, but, yeah, I have to give the uh, Negro League historians out there uh, a tip of the hat because they have worked diligently to try and pull these numbers together over the years. You know, baseball is a game of numbers. You know, statistics mm-hmm. is a big part of this sport, and so that hardcore baseball fan wants to have numbers that they can relate to. And it was difficult in the Negro Leagues, not that they didn't keep the statistics, but, you know, because if they weren't playing in a place that had African-American press, then it was difficult to ascertain box scores from those games. So unless right. you can pick up the old score books and that kind of thing, it was really hard to formulate the statistical data that would satisfy that hardcore baseball fan. And so much of what we had known about the Negro Leagues was through legend and through lore and through oral history. Mm-hmm. So that only takes you so far. People want to have stats. They want to do the comparisons, although it's still very difficult to compare the Negro Leagues with the Major Leagues, uh, except for the times in which they actually played against each other. There were a number of those occasions. But to have more statistical data, I think, helps validate how good these guys were. Oh, no and, doubt about it. No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, and so we're excited that, you know, there's been a greater effort to go through and comb and through old box scores and dig in for, you know, as much info as they can to try and compile a more reliable uh, statistical database on the Negro Leagues. And I bring that point up, Bob, uh, because I stress always to our youth is that it's so important to know your history. Without you knowing your history, what do they say? You know, people perish. Yeah. So you got to yeah. know your history and and, and us as African Americans, boy, we have a rich history, and you well, can't we do, you can't forget and, it. And, and, and this is such a proud history. You know, I think a lot of times, guys, people think that they're going to come to the Negro Leagues Museum and they're going to bear witness to a very sad, somber kind of story because we know that this story. It, it relates to the ugliness of American segregation, which certainly was a horrible chapter in this country's history. But really, what we focus on is a more triumphant story. You know, the story is not about the adversity. It's what they did to overcome the adversity. That's the real story. Yeah. And, and so that's what we celebrate. This is a celebration of the power of the human spirit to persevere and prevail. You know, you cannot, you can't tell me that I am unfit to play this game. I will show you. And and so you won't let me play with you, then I'll just create a league of my own, and what a great league it became. Mm -hmm. That is the American way. It is the American spirit at its absolute finest. Yeah, with that, you lead lead me right into my next question, which was what type of uh, economical impact did the Negro League have? It was huge. (laughs) <laughs> now, when you're talking about Negro Leagues baseball, you're talking about the third largest black-owned business in this country, you know, only trailing black-owned insurance companies. Uh, and, of course, Madam C.J. Walker, who became this country's first self-made businesswoman millionaire. Yes. But the impact that Negro Leagues baseball had on black economy was probably even greater than those two because it spawned these other businesses. Uh, and, you know, I guess... One of the ways you can look at this is, you know, if you build a ballpark today, 
uh, in an area, all of a sudden you see these businesses surround that, that area. Yep. And because those ballparks bring a built-in base of support, those businesses usually fare pretty well. Well, that was exactly the case with Negro Leagues Baseball. Now, for instance, here in Kansas City, at 18th and Vine, where the museum is now, the ballpark was about, oh, four blocks away. Mm-hmm. Well, at that time, the stadium held about 14,000 people. When the Monarchs played, 17,000-plus standing room only. They would come back to 18th and Vine and do business with all of those segregated, mandated black-owned businesses. So as a result, those businesses flourished. As a matter of fact, we kind of make the case that if there's a bittersweet aspect to the overall story of the Negro Leagues, it lies in the fact that you can directly parallel the rise and fall of the Negro Leagues with the rise and fall of black economy in this country. Yes. And truthfully, black economy never recovered from losing the Negro Leagues. Uh, I tell you, and, and supporting your own people and businesses was was huge. That's why I asked you that question. It's and, and and unfortunately too, a lot of the the stadiums now, football, baseball, they're in the middle of nowhere. They're yeah. not in the in the area, in the city area. Uh, no. You know, you saw this you saw that kind of movement, so to speak, of the of the, the stadiums moving to suburban areas away from the urban core and Mm-hmm. You know, I think that had a huge impact on what we've seen in terms of the decline of African Americans not only participating in the game but watching the game. You know, we don't go to games anymore. You know, and even though a lot of cities now have started to build stadiums back downtown uh, to help revitalize those downtown areas, uh, there has certainly become a, a bit of a detachment between the African American fan and the game of baseball. And, and certainly as an institution, we would like to see that change. But, again, you know, not only, you know, from people watching the games, but people playing the games, kids playing the games. So, you know, there are a lot of factors, I think, that, you know, fall into play when we look at where that detachment in our community came from as it relates to the game of baseball. Because at one point in time, we were huge baseball fans. We supported baseball in in ways that really we had never seen before, you know, as we look at the Negro Leagues. I mean, that was a primary black fan base, even though we had a lot of white fans enjoying those games as well. Um, Tell them, Bob. Bob. Tell them. (laughs) Those white fans too, man. Tell them, man. (laughs) But this was black-owned and and black-supported. And, you know, we hope that we can reverse the trend that we've seen in the game of baseball today. I tell you, I mean, it's just great to hear you express and, 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 you know, to our audience just about it. I mean, it's so vivid, the story you're painting. You know, I can picture it now of how things were at that time. And, you know, we, we me and you spoke previous about, you know, baseball, the dwindling numbers of African Americans in the sport. Are you uh, working or has Major League Baseball asked the museum to be a part of that, to come up with some ideas trying to attract African African Americans back to the sport. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, we feel like we have a historical obligation to do so. You know, and, and it's important to us again as a cultural institution that we introduce young people to this sport. You know, but what we offer here is a place in which they can come into this museum and see people who look just like them 
who played the game as well as anyone. And and hopefully that will be an impetus. But, you know, the museum has a partnership with the RBI program. We're working right now in partnership with Jimmy Lee Solomon over at Major League Baseball and his Urban Youth Academies to make sure that Negro League's history is included in that environment of young people who are really pursuing this game of baseball very diligently and very passionately. You know, it's a problem, guys, that, you know, you're not going to find a solution overnight because it didn't occur overnight. And so we all have to be committed uh, for the long haul to make sure that we reverse this, this staggering trend. I heard, I think, yesterday morning on Outside the Line that the numbers at the major league level now is about 8.5%. Wow. Uh, but at the minor league level, it's probably even less than that. You know, So we know we've got some things that we've got to deal with, or at some point in time we're going to phase ourselves right on out of Major League Baseball. And, and again, for me, as we look at it, dealing with young people in, in general, we want kids to at least experience the game of baseball. It saddens me to see urban kids who have never picked up a baseball and a bat ever mm-hmm. and had the joy of playing baseball and they've already determined that they don't like a sport that they've never, ever played before. And and so we want kids to at least get that experience. Now, obviously, if you don't like it, then you don't like it. But, you know, we don't want you to make that determination before you've ever tried it. Mm -hmm. And and I think, man, what you know, for all of us who've ever picked up a batting glove and the first time you hit that ball. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You know, it is special, and and it's a, it's a very romanticized game. It's a it's not the easiest sport to play, uh, although any of us can play the game. You know, it's, what, it's the one sport where your physical stature does not determine whether you can play this game or not. You know, you could be 5'2 and weigh 150 pounds to play baseball, or you could be 6'6 six, six and weigh 300 pounds to play this game, although it's not an easy sport. You know, to hit that, to hit that round ball with that bat, is not an easy thing to do, you know. <laughs> You're right about that. Yes, I'm all coming 90 miles an hour. Exactly. You think about it. What other sport are you on offense and you don't have the ball? <laughs> you know, so that. I that's why it's such, a, it's such a tough sport to play, but it's that sport that we all feel like we can play. And the, and the late great buckle deal would say, you know, you could have two 80-year-old men sitting on the couch watching a baseball game and a guy drops a pop fly. What's the first thing come out of their mouth? I could have caught that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. How did he drop that? Anybody could have caught that. My grandmother could have caught that ball. Well, you're right about that. It is It is a game that is very unique. I think, Bob, part of the problem nowadays with the youth is that everything is so fast. I mean, these kids can't sense, they can't sit for for any, you know, length of time. They have to be out, moving around, uh, tweeting, Facebook, and, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, well, you know, you can't so sit close. tight. And the game is game of baseball. Well, not a game that moves fast. No, it yeah, doesn't we, move fast. It, yeah, we used to, it we used to have the guys sitting down in the right field picking daisies. I remember them days. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was nobody hitting the ball out there. They all nobody was hitting the turn. Yeah, right they're, they're picking daisies. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but you know, the other the the other thing is now the you know a sport guys that was once a blue collar sport has become almost a country club sport because you don't have it at that you know that sandlot level is basically gone now. So in order to play this game, it has to be organized. When it becomes organized, it becomes extremely expensive. You know the equipment is expensive. You know to play on these elite traveling teams very expensive. You know, so it, it has definitely negated the opportunities that are there. You know, it used to be a time when I was a kid, you didn't need nine guys on, on both teams. Whatever the number was, you divided it up equally, and you played the game. You know, but, again, you use your imagination, and, you know, if you hit the ball in Mrs. Jones' yard, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so, you know, the bat the bat was oftentimes my mother's mop handle or broomstick, you know, which she wasn't too happy about, but you know, you it was good old ingenuity, man. You made what whatever was necessary for you to play the game and you and you got out and you did it from sun up to sundown and you know, the other thing is we played what was ever in season. These kids specialize now too early. It's yeah. way too early. You know, and it has hurt these kids in their development. And, you know, because ultimately that child's talent will help them gravitate to the sport of choice. But what we're seeing now is kids are having to pick a sport very early on. You know, and so if you're playing basketball, you're playing basketball almost year-round. So you don't get to do these other things. And, and to me that that is very disappointing and very sad um, because what we're seeing now, they'll – you know, that proliferation of what used to be multiple sports stars, you're not really seeing that anymore. You know, you see three and four sports stars. You don't really see that anymore. No, no way. Mm-mm. Not at all. Yeah, no, things, you, you're exactly right. The parents nowadays have these kids focused in. If it's If it happens to be baseball, then they're baseball all day, every day, all year round. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately... You know, like we like we said, those numbers for African Americans are are not are just not there. So it's uh, it's it's a it's a challenge, and and hopefully, you know, those things will turn around in time with organizations like the Negro Leagues uh, Museum and the Major League Baseball, which I understand is you know trying to do what they can with the Jackie Robinson Foundation, I believe, as well. So hopefully we can get the numbers up. Bob, talk a little bit about uh, some of the programs, uh, initiatives that you have going on with uh, the 22nd anniversary coming up. Well, you know, we we, we launched a, a wonderful membership opportunity. And membership is really important to any organization, particularly cultural organization, but really important to an organization like Negro Leagues Museum. You know, the interesting thing about it is we have members from around the, the world, and many of those folks have made that investment knowing full well that they may never step foot inside the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, but they understand how important the mission of this organization is and they're baseball fans or they're fans of American history. So to celebrate our 22nd anniversary, we launched a campaign called Catch-22. Mm-hmm. And individuals can make a $22 contribution to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which is tax deductible, and they will receive a commemorative Centennial Buckle Neal 1942 Kansas City Monarch cap. 
uh, as an incentive for joining our program. Membership is an annual renewal, so you know you get it for a full year. Uh, you get the official membership card. You get discount in our store. You get first uh, advance notice of museum special events and those kinds of things. But more importantly, you become a stakeholder in an organization like this, and you make a wonderful statement that this history is worth preserving and celebrating so that future generations will have an opportunity to not only learn about this wonderful piece of history, but I believe be inspired by the passion, the pride, the perseverance that was demonstrated by these men who just simply wanted to play ball. And, and so there's no greater way to support an organization like the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum than by becoming a member of the organization. And so, you know, we launched the campaign. We hope that we can get a lot of people from around the country to join this effort in helping us uh, celebrate and preserve this very pre very important piece of baseball and Americana. Well, we're going to do our part here on the LC and Jack Radio Show to help uh, promote history and 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 uh, as you say, preserve that. So, I mean, that's our duty as being a piece of the media, myself and and Brad here. So, you got us there, and I'll be sending my check in to you as well. Become a full fledged well, we member. We appreciate that, and, you know, for those in, who listen to your show, you can do this online uh, at www.nlbm.com. Uh, very simple procedure online, um, you know, and it's a great way to support this organization. You know, there's not many of these guys still alive, and in the not-so-distant future, there won't be any. You know, they're like World War II vets. Yes. And, and so without the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, this piece of history would die with the last Negro Leaguer. When that last Negro Leaguer left this earth, this history would leave with them. And, and we don't want that to happen. This story is too powerful. It is too meaningful to have that happen. And, and so we're working hard here in Kansas City to make sure that the legacy of those 2,600 men and women who played in the Negro Leagues lives on forever. And that's and that's that's what it's all about. I, and I, I love it. What, Bob, and... Tell me, tell me a little bit about, uh, aside from the uh, membership, what other ways uh, is the museum doing to, to fundraise and, and to keep the doors open? Uh, are there some other initiatives yeah. that you use, some oh, revenues absolutely. that are generated? Yeah, you know, along with the membership program, we obviously, for people who come to visit the museum, you know, the admissions piece is a wonderful stream of revenue, and we're working hard to grow those numbers each and every year. We do a lot of special events, including events like the Legacy Awards, which annually honors the best Major League Baseball players, managers, and executives with awards named for Negro League legends. Uh, so that's a big, big event for us. It's a national caliber event. Mm -hmm. We do uh, Buck O'Neill's annual birthday celebration. You know, And even though Buck is gone, we continue to celebrate his legacy each year for not only what he did for Negro League's history, but obviously what he did committing himself tirelessly to his museum. And I affectionately call the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum the house that Buck built. And, and that, again, it was, it's without any disrespect to anyone who had a hand in helping create this institution, but it does not happen without Buck O'Neill. That's so right. In New York, you had the house that Roof built, Yankee Stadium. In yes. Kansas City, you got the house that Buck built. And, uh, you know, and so we continue to celebrate his birthday uh, every year. Of course, he would have turned 100 last November, 
and we're still in the midst of celebrating his what would have been his 100th birthday. And uh, we do a Buckle Neal Golf Classic celebrity golf event that helps raise money. And then, of course, the golf event for us this time is August 28th in Kansas City. Celebrity Golf Classic, great guys from the sports world, baseball, and and the other sports that come out to support that event. And, uh, you know, all those things are, are very much a part of how we raise funds to keep the museum operating. And, of course, we have a licensing program. So a lot of the uh, paraphernalia that you see, the jerseys, the T-shirts, the caps, those kinds of things are, uh, I hope, licensed products from the Negro League. <laughs> you, know, you know there's a lot of bootlegging going on out there. Oh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> so, tell the guys, don't buy the bootleg stuff, man. Buy the real stuff. <laughs> Where can they get the authentic stuff, Bob? Is there a certain you know, site or, or, you know, or, or organizations? Are, yeah, there there are retail outlets around the country that have it, but you can always come on. You know, you can always go to our online store uh, at www.nlbm.com or even call us, you know, if you see something that – you uh, might be interested in there. You know, we actually we have it in the gift shop here as well. And so, you know, we want you to buy authentic uh, Negro League Baseball Museum merchandise and not that bootleg stuff. <laughs> <laughs> let them know. Let them know. Did you let them know. Let them know. They, they be in the laundromat attacking me all the time. Can't even wash my damn clothes, you know. <laughs> Let them know. Oh, boy, I tell you, if, if, you do, if, if you're just tuning into the show, we have uh, Mr. Bob Kendrick from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum out in Kansas City, Missouri. I tell you what, a, what a great guest we have this evening. I got a couple more for you, Bob. One of the things uh, was uh, curious to get your feedback on is, and I don't know if it was uh, a validation, but. I didn't really know, and this is again, I didn't didn't realize that Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, Roy Campanella, they actually got their start in the Negro Leagues. You talk a little bit about that. Oh yeah, man. I mean, you know, and that's that's just a sampling of that talent pool. You know, when you start talking about Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Ernie Banks, Monty Irvin, Minnie Minoso, you know, you're talking about some of the Satchel greatest Page. players ever. Larry Satchel Page, Larry Doby. Uh, you know, these guys had the great fortune of going on and becoming stars at the major league level, but their careers began in the Negro Leagues. And, you know, you could make a, a case that the fact that, you know, there's no question had the doors open sooner, the record books would be entirely different. And you can base that argument on the success that those that did finally get the opportunity after Robinson, the impact that they had mm-hmm. on major league baseball. Well, kid, you could only imagine what it would have been like if you had gotten a cool Papa Bell or a Josh oh. Gibson or an Oscar Charleston or a Boo June Wilson or a Bullet Rogan or a Bingo DeMoss. You know, the list, could, the list goes on and on. These guys could play, you know, and the sad part about it is we will never know how much better the game could have been had the doors open sooner. Right, and and I, I bring that up, and you you made my point is that it, it was kind of like a validation, even though I don't think the Negro Leagues needed that. But with those players coming out of the Negro Leagues and doing unbelievable things in the major leagues, it, with the integration factor, I think that just made made 
our history is just so much brighter. Yeah, these these well, players came from a league that was what was the league to be in, not the league. Well, that it, it was, was amazing, not. and 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 interesting enough, uh, there's a great photograph inside the museum of a young Hank Aaron, and, and he's standing at the train station in Mobile, Alabama, uh, with a duffel bag, going to chase that dream of playing baseball, he's going to join the Indianapolis Clowns. So, you know, this is before the Braves. And that, to me, is that validating point in the exhibition because everyone knows what Aaron did at the major league level. Mm -hmm. They know how big a star he became. But then all of a sudden they discover that one of the game's greatest players' career began in the Negro League. And all of a sudden it does start to validate how good those other guys were. You know, and so our job as an institution is not about trying to determine whether these guys were better than their white counterparts. You know, we can present the information and you can make that determination for yourself. Right. Our job is to make sure that they are included in those conversations, though. You know, they should not be forgotten when you talk about the great game of baseball. And baseball is a wonderful game of comparisons and statistics. And those kinds of things. And we want to make sure that those Negro League players are included in those discussions. Like I said, you can draw your own conclusion. And, and typically, whoever was your guy when you were a kid growing up, he's always going to be your guy. So That's nobody's right. ever, you know, for me, nobody's <laughs> ever going to be better than that you know? guy. <laughs> You're right about that. It, it's, um, it, it's it's just fabulous. Just, just you know, I mean, I, I was familiar with the Negro Leagues and a lot of information, but really, you know, going into it and trying to be really prepared for this interview, it's it's unbelievable how much history, how many teams they were. I couldn't believe finding out how many teams they were and the the amount of money that was generated around the park, as you stated earlier. It's just the history and... The the amount of money that stayed in our communities, I tell you, it was it was just a great time. It was, it, it, it was special, you know. And Rube Foster, who started the Negro Leagues right here in Kansas City in 1920, mm -hmm. was an absolute genius. I mean, Rube Foster guys was so far ahead of his time. Uh, he had been a great baseball player himself, but he's best you know best known as the the brain behind the creation of the Negro Leagues. And, you know, when Foster created the league in 1920, uh, you know, he he took some of the star players from some of the teams that he owned and dispersed them around the league because he knew in order for his league to survive, it had to have competitive balance. Yes. You know, baseball is still trying to figure that piece out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen the way the revenue streams you know, go. Rube Foster started what we now know to be interleague play in the 1920s. You know, wow! So he was he was absolutely brilliant, and and he he basically promoted and preached a style of play that became signature of Negro League baseball. Very fast, very aggressive, very daring. They bunt their way on. They steal second. They steal third. And if you weren't too smart, they still home. That was an exciting brand of baseball that you saw there in the Negro Leagues. And, and again, the late Buck O'Neill would oftentimes say that the Major League players would say they were showboating. You know, a guy would go in the hole, 
uh, flip the ball behind his back to start the double play. And the major leaguers would say, uh, they just showboating. Right. But as Buck would say, it's only showboating when you can't do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you right about that. That's a great play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Unbelievable. Oh, man. Uh, man, I guess we, we could talk to you all night, but tell, tell the audience a little bit about what's happening during the All-Star Game this coming year out in Kansas City. Man, it's, a, it, it's really exciting for us. You know, this is a tremendous opportunity to really create an international spotlight for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, you know, as one of those featured attractions here in Kansas City as uh, baseball's Midsummer Classic descends on Kansas City. And so we're really, really excited about it. We will start our All-Star Celebration actually in June with the opening of a brand-new exhibition uh, called They Were All-Stars, and it will focus on those Negro League players from the year ni- the years 1947 to 59. That's the time span in which it took Major League Baseball to completely integrate. By 59, Boston becomes the last Major League team mm-hmm. to have a black player take the field with Pompsy Green. And so we will look at those Negro League players between that, those years of 47 and 59 who subsequently went to the Major Leagues and became All-Stars. And we're going to tell their story. And I think by doing so, guys, we will help baseball fans understand, again, the immediate impact that the Negro Leagues had on Major League Baseball. So we'll open that exhibit in June, uh, June 15th. And then we've got uh, several other events that actually lead up to the All-Star Game celebration. And then we're working on uh, a litany of things, events, programs. Uh, obviously, we're preparing for what we hope will be more the most foot traffic than, that we've seen at any one time in the history of this organization. And so it's going to be a very exhausting several days in and around July. But I tell you what, it's going to be um, a state of euphoria if we can do what we believe we can do in terms of introducing this museum to the world. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, uh, we're taking a lead on this. I, once I heard about the museum, there was no doubt about it that we were going to be able to spotlight this organization, get our rich history, and getting the word out, educating our young listeners as well as you know all listeners that listen to our show. So it's, an, it's, a, it's part of our duty to get this information out, and I'm sure come June, all the way through the rest of the year, you're going to have so much demand for merchandise, knowledge. Uh, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready for the onslaught, because yeah, well, it's you, coming. We try, so we try <laughs> to get ready, man. We try to get ready, uh, you know, it, it, but it's, a, it's so exciting. You know, this is an occasion that we've been waiting on, you know, while... You know, a lot of people have heard about the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. There's still a lot that have not. And, you know, with the influx of media that will be descending on Kansas City, there's an opportunity to get this museum in front of the world. And that's an opportunity that we certainly are working diligently to strategize so that we can maximize it because, as I tell people here, this is a once-in-30-year opportunity. We won't see the All-Star Game for at least another 30 years, so... You know, we better take advantage of it this time. In, in 30 years from now, somebody probably have to tell me about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it, definitely. <laughs> but it, it shouldn't. I'm, I'm hoping that you know, through you know, avenues like radio, 
through the internet, through TV, all types of media, that we're able to really take this museum and all the history that goes with it and just transcend, you know, transcend, uh, you know, get that information out. And and I tell you, it's there's a lot there. I mean, just being able to go and research some of the some of the uh, hitters and the different struggles that they went through because of the love of the yeah. game. And that's well, like and you I said. Think that's the thing. You know, that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, that love of the game. And, and I share that. I've had a chance to, to walk a lot of major league, current major league baseball players through the museum. And, and while they cannot relate necessarily to what segregation was like, the one common bond that they still share with those guys who played in the Negro Leagues was that love of the game. Because, you know, the money obviously has changed things, but these guys, they still love the game. They may make a lot of money playing the game, but they're still playing a game that they played as a kid. And they, they are very fortunate to make their living playing a game that they love. And I tell them all when they walk in here, you will never see a greater example of love of the game than you will when you witness the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. They had to love it, to to deal and endure with what they had to you know, sometimes having to sleep on the bus, eat the peanut butter and crackers because they couldn't get a meal in the same town from the same fans who had just cheated them or yeah, not well. have a place to stay. So you had to love it uh, to keep doing it. And, and so, you know, that is something that all athletes can relate to. And, and so, you know, that's what makes this museum so special, so compelling, so awe-inspiring because it's such a, an amazing story, no doubt about it, Bob. What and we'll, we're going to wrap up here. What if you had on the wish list? What what is the museum? What's on the hit list? What if you if you had a, 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 a I guess a dream? How could I put this? Where 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 do you want? Where do they see the museum? Where do you see the museum and, and the board going from here? What would you like to see? Well, you know, we've, we've got some we've got some really ambitious plans, you know, and I think that's important for us to think uh, to, to think big, because you know we're working still to develop what will become the Buckle Neal Education and Research Center in the site of the old Paseo YMCA. Of course, that's the birthplace of the Negro Leagues. That's why it makes sense that a museum be in Kansas City, because the actual Negro Leagues were established in Kansas City in 1920. The building that they were established still stands. Okay. And it's a National Historic Landmark, and so we've set our sight on saving that building, expanding our operations to essentially create an international headquarters for Negro Leagues baseball and social history. So, you know, ultimately when you talk race and sports, we want you to think Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Obviously when you're thinking about the history of the Negro Leagues, uh, the impact on the social advancement of our country, those kinds of topics of discussion, we want you to thank Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. So, you know, it is our goal to create what I refer to as the central repository for Negro Leagues and social history. You know, that is the long-term dream. And I hope, guys, in the process, we will actually rewrite the pages of American history books. Because I can tell you, it is a travesty that we could go through our formal education and not know the story of the Negro Leagues. Oh, uh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. You, yeah. you're right and about so that. So as an institution, we want to change that. 
We want to rewrite those pages of history books to include this wonderful story. Now, you mentioned uh, history books. Have you uh, read a book, Bob, called uh, We Are the Ship, Story of the Nation? Oh, man, that's my man, Kadir Nelson. Tell tell us a little bit about that. I just, and and great news, it was in in the story, today's paper, out here in New York, talking about this is part of the new mandate for kids in four to five, grades four and five, uh, to read as far as nonfiction. That's that is awesome because the author and illustrator of that book is a dear friend of mine, Kadir Nelson, who I think is one of the most amazing young artists in the country. And uh, he's been here to the museum several times. We're very fortunate. We own, I think, six original Kadir Nelson Negro League paintings. And many of those paintings are used to illustrate the book. And he is just an amazing talent. Uh, He is just a, a fine young man. Uh, who has a gift that he is sharing with the rest of the world. That book is amazing. Uh, we debuted the book here in Kansas City. Nice. And subsequently, an exhibit from some of those works here in Kansas City. And the book itself was inspired by Buck O'Neill. And as as you read the book, you mm-hmm. can almost hear this very folksy tone that Kadir uses, which he attributes to Buck O'Neill and the great storytelling ability that Buck O'Neill had. And uh, it's just a beautifully written book, a beautifully illustrated book. Uh, It's at the top of my recommended reading, and I'm so glad to hear what you just shared about it being utilized in the classrooms. Uh, That's right. It is an important book. I tell you, I I was just, the timing was great. I tell you, the man upstairs works well because I was not familiar with the book, and I was like, holy cow, we got Bob coming on tonight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we got, we got, we got to ask him about this, okay? Uh, I tell, I tell Kadir all the time. I'm glad I knew him when because at some point in time we're not gonna be able to even afford to buy his paintings. Uh, yeah, oh, the, the, the stuff is off the touch, man. It is off the hook. This kid is absolutely amazing, and of course, you know, he went to Pratt Pratt Institute there in New York City. Yes, and uh, you know, and was introduced to Negro League's history, and we were introduced to Kadir when he had about eight pages dedicated to Sports Illustrated a number of years ago. And people started calling the museum, wanting to know if we knew who did this, and we eventually tracked him down, and and, and it sparked a relationship between the Negro Leagues Museum and Kadir. And, uh, you know, he did those postage stamps of the Negro Leagues uh, a little over a year ago, two years ago. I saw that. Uh, yeah, which is just, again, he's just an oh, amazing, man. talented young man. Yeah, he's special. There's no I'll question. I tell you, I tell you, unbelievable. Brad, you got anything there for Bob before we wrap? Well, just enjoying um, the interview and uh, you know, it brought back memories. And when I used to try to teach myself how to play baseball by picking up a <laughs> hit, and hit, hit a rock over the fence up in White Plains, you know. So if I can hit a, a rock with a stick, you know, I was good on the field. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I didn't have that Johnny. I didn't have that Johnny Bench better up like some kids had. You know, I was really upset about that, but I still did it when it counted. <laughs> but I, but I did enjoy you coming on the show, and uh, we will keep in touch. And, and networking is my game, so anything you need, just let me know, and I'll be there. Yeah, let us know, well, Bob. Man, I tell you, I do what we can here to you know support the cause, and when it comes to uh, organizations such as. This and uh, you know this organization that that, that you you're heading up, which is a big responsibility. 
But, but we, uh, we do appreciate we do appreciate you guys, and it is so important. I can't stress it enough that we support cultural institutions in general. Uh, not, you know, not just Negro League Baseball Museum, but all of our cultural institutions are the ways in which our kids identify with themselves. And yes. so they are very, very important, and they have to be supported. You know, we uh, and the Negro League Baseball, Baseball Museum is just one of those great cultural institutions and we encourage people to uh, to join us, become a member, support the $22 campaign, the uh, Catch-22 campaign that is still, you know, going on right now, or, you know, the Buck O'Neill 100 for 100 campaign. You know, there's a level of support that's there for you, and we just would encourage everybody to join this effort. Well, Bob, give them the website information and as well as uh, email or, you know, just give them all that information so the listeners can reach out. Okay, on the on the World Wide Web, we're at www.nlbm.com. Uh, you can always call the museum at 816-221-1920 during normal business hours, uh, 8.30 to 5.30, Monday through Friday, um, you know, anytime. And if you want to email me, you can send me an email at bkendrick, that's K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K, at nlbm.com uh, you need information want to learn more about the Negro Leagues want to talk about ways you can support the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum whatever it is feel free to reach out to us that's what we're here for and so uh, by all means uh, again we really appreciate the opportunity that you guys have presented us to talk a little bit about Negro Leagues history and the work of the Negro Leagues Museum No, oh, Bob it's been a pleasure it's been our pleasure to have you on the show and we look forward to having you not the last time, but having you sometime in the future, and uh, we're looking to just just extend and, and grow the relationship. That's how things are. It's a great start to a long-term relationship. So with that said, we appreciate you joining the show this evening. And um, we, uh, you know, if we if I get time, let's see if I can get out there. If I may be hitting you up. Come on out. <laughs> come, on, come, come on out. You know, we got some great barbecue. And, and, and oh, barbecue is on, that? If, if you know out, the barbecue Let is on me. me. Know. <laughs> Let me know. I'll bring, I'll bring my plate and fork with me. I'll bring the barbecue is unbelievable, good. okay? I just came from there. Oh, man. You know, some places you got to bring your own barbecue sauce, but since uh, y'all queuing, I, I'm going to just bring my plate and my fork. That's it. That's all, man. That's all you need. That's, That's all you it. need. Well, thanks again, Bob, and we'll be talking with you real soon. Okay, guys. All right. All right thanks, Bob. Bob. Well, you're listening to the LC and Jack radio show. With my man, Brett, in the saddle with LC. And uh, I tell you, Brett, what an unbelievable interview with an unbelievable individual that's doing great things mm-hmm. with the museum, making sure we keep our legacy, our history intact for our youth to learn and continue to, to pass that history down. Yeah. I tell you, unbelievable. And we want to thank you for joining us for another edition of the LC and Jack radio show. Until next week, good night. Peace.